Welcome. This is episode number 11 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I will be joined shortly by co-host Kara Goucher and a very, very special guest today, Allison Felix, who is joining us. She dialed in from Switzerland, took time out of her European Trek schedule to jump on the podcast with us, and we really appreciate it. For those that don't know Allison Felix, then you should definitely know Allison Felix. She is the most decorated track and field athlete of all time, if you're counting global championship medals, of which she has 26 from the World Championships and the Olympics. That's more than someone you may have heard of, Usain Bolt, who has 22 global championship medals, as well as for the American fans, Carl Lewis, who has 20 or Michael Johnson, who has 12, and so 26 medals, including 18 gold for Allison Felix, who is a sprinter who specializes in the 200-meter and the 400-meter distances. She also became a new mom last November and is currently building back to try to make another Olympic team in Tokyo of next year. You may have seen her in the news recently as she has recently spoken out about maternity rights for female athletes trying to not only protect those women when they decide to have children but also during their comeback so that they don't have to worry about the financial implications of that it's an important topic and we'll cover that with Allison on the show today as well as of course getting her perspective on clean sport she is an absolute ambassador not only for track and field but also for I think sport in general and we're really excited to have her on and to share her perspective on these important topics. So with that, we're going to jump right into it and chat with Allison Felix. Here we go. Welcome, Allison Felix, to the Clean Sport Collective podcast. How are you doing today, Allison? I'm good. Thanks for having me. We're super excited to have you on for, for lots of reasons, and we'll get to, to all of our favorite topics with you as we go. But first, just wanted to introduce you a little bit to the audience who may, may not be paying attention to track and field, you are the most decorated track and field athlete, male or female of all time with, if my count is correct, 26 global championship medals. But I wanted to just first ask you, how did you get started in sport? Um, so I was always like very active kid in my community, grew up in my community. Um, I have an older brother who's two years older than me. And I just pretty much always wanted to do what he was doing. So that's really what got me involved in just, you know, in everything, basketball. Um, I did some gymnastics and all of that. But I found track and field when I was in high school. Um, I was at a new school, um, a freshman, incoming freshman. And I really went out for the team to like meet new people. And so that was it. I came out and completely fell in love with it. And it's kind of been a whirlwind. <laughs> Yeah, you could say that. When did you figure out that you might actually be good at this? I knew that I, I mean, I've always been super competitive. And so I've always like loved racing the boys and that whole thing growing up. And so I knew that I was like quick, um, but it was probably somewhere towards the end of high school that I really saw my potential and knew that, you know, I had a chance at a career in this. So um, I'd say, yeah, somewhere around 17 years old. So as we jump right in, you, you're in this a bit of a career transition. You've got a new sponsor that just came on, Athleta, and obviously also recently came out very publicly to 
advocate for women athletes on this topic of maternity considerations within athlete contracts. So before we jump into the details of that, how have you found it becoming an advocate, somebody who's stepping up and maybe addressing some of these issues in a more public way than perhaps you have in the past? Yeah, well, when I first, you know, found myself in this situation, it was very scary for me to think about, you know, coming out strongly about something and having, you know, a very strong opinion and sharing, you know, personal experience in the past. I've been, I've just always been a very private person. And so it was just very uncomfortable for me. Um, But I think, you know, in becoming a mother, it really gave me a different perspective. And it um, helped me realize that, you know, it's no longer just about me. And, you know, that in order to see change, you know, you have to speak up. And it was really about thinking about the world that my daughter will grow up in and, you know, wanting to see some change. And so it's a very different place to be. But also, I I just feel like there's so much meaning in it. And it, um, you know, it kind of gives me that motivation to go for it. Allison, seeing you come out has been so inspiring and so impactful, and you've already changed so much, and hopefully things will continue to change. When you when you first decided to speak out, were you nervous about it, or were you very confident about what your message would be? Were you, were you nervous the night before? How were you feeling through all that process? Well, thank you. Yes, I was extremely nervous, <laughs> and it was really you and Alicia who really, like, gave me that strength. And, you know, I think we hear it a lot, uh, you know, strength in numbers and, you know, things like that. But it is really true because I just felt, you know, in watching and reading, you know, everything that was happening. And I was so on the fence about it before. And I just felt like I literally, you know, had this feeling in my stomach where I was like, I I was feeling sick about it. Like I just couldn't stay silent any longer. Um, But there was definitely a lot of nerves that went along with that. And how has it been for you speaking out? Has it been easy, hard? Have you gotten support? Have you had those that might be haters? (laughs) there's always haters, of course. Um, But no, it's been, it's been really, um, for me, a positive experience. Um, Just seeing what can happen when you do speak out and just, um, you know, just being able to, to realize that, you know, and see how important it is to speak your truth. Um, I've had a lot of feedback just across the board, you know, not just from people in sport, but outside of sport. I think there's just, um, such a common experience amongst women in the workplace um, around maternity, you know? Um, and I didn't realize, you know, how many women have, you know, just a similar experience. And it's been really encouraging just to hear that, that feedback and um, that encouragement. And you've also testified in front of Congress. Um, sorry. You've also testified in front of Congress um, about your experiences in giving birth. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for our audience? Yeah. Um, so I gave birth at 32 weeks. I went in for a normal appointment and didn't end up coming home um, right away until um, until I delivered my daughter. So I found out that um, I had a severe case of preeclampsia 
And it was just shocking to me because, you know, being a professional athlete, I trained throughout my entire pregnancy. I felt great. I, you know, I know how to be healthy. I know how to eat the right things. You know, that's what I've been doing my entire life. And um, I just never expected that I would find myself, you know, in that situation and just where my my health was threatened. I, I think I took my health for granted for a really long time. And, um, and just, yeah, never expected to be, to, to be going through what I was. And so what I learned throughout my entire experience is that, um, women of color are almost four times as likely to face death when giving birth and just have, um, complications, you know, during delivery than, um, than white women. And so that's something that I had heard about, but I don't know, it still just didn't click with me. I I just still didn't think, you know, I would be at risk. Um, and so in learning that it also gave, made me want to speak up about that topic as well. And so I was asked to come before Congress and to share my story of what happened to me and to my daughter. And so, um, it's, yeah, it's just been great to be able to bring awareness because I think it's something that a lot of women um, aren't aware of. And I think once you are aware of it, you can, you know, be prepared. You can, you know, um, kind of know what's going, what could possibly happen. And I think being prepared is really a big part of, um, a big part of it. In addition to awareness though, what other change do you think could help that? issue? There definitely needs to be more research done because we're seeing this occur, you know, across the board. I mean, typically you think that, you know, an issue like this would happen when you're having, you know, um, not as good uh, health care or, you know, all these different things that, um, that contribute. But this happens to, you know, this is hap- this happened to me, you know, and I have access, you know, I'm privileged. Um, And so if it's happening to me, it's happening to a ton of other women as well. And so that research, um, letting women know that sometimes you have to, especially Black women, you have to advocate for your own health. Um, Just all of these things to be able to be prepared, ask the right questions, not be intimidated when you're in a doctor's office. Um, So really giving Um, women of color, the tools to be able to um, be prepared for these issues that they might face. So, and and then as we go back to the dream maternity topic, and I would encourage anybody to go check out that hashtag on Twitter and all forms of social media, hashtag dream maternity to really follow some of the issues. From that perspective, recently Nike came out and released a statement that they would be making some changes to their policies around maternity policies in contracts. Is that enough? And as you think about it, what more needs to be done to protect women and women athletes that that want to start a family? I mean, I think we're moving in the right direction. You know, Um, I think I mean, first of all, it's long overdue. Um, I remember when I came into the sport, it, it was almost just like this unspoken thing that this is kind of what happens. You know, I had seen it multiple times in my career. And, you know, I was a teenager when I started um, running track professionally. And so becoming a mom was not on my radar at all. But it was just so interesting to me um, how it was done. You know, I saw multiple uh, female athletes um, 
you know, not let anyone know that they were pregnant until, you know, either they were signing a new contract or, you know, whatever the case was, it was, it was well into their pregnancy until, you know, people kind of knew about it. And at the time, I don't think I even like questioned it. It was just kind of like, oh, well, this is what everybody is doing. And so um, I'm happy that we're moving in the right direction. But yes, there's definitely more that can be done. And I think that, you know, we also want to see more companies step up. You know, this is a, a problem that is across the industry. And so I think it's amazing that other companies have said that they support their female athletes, but it's really about having that protection contractually, having that language in the contract um, that we need to make a, a practice across the industry. And so, um, yeah, I, I obviously, you know, still more to do, but I do think that we are finally kind of moving into the right direction. I, I agree with that. And I, I just want to say like, it just shows the power of the voice. Yeah. Like like you said, you've known about this since you were a teenager. You've known people. I went through it a decade ago and we kind of suffered in silence. And mm-hmm. the power of the voice and the collective voice, it's just been incredible. Like you said, there's still a ways to go, but the what we what has already happened in such a short period of time, it's really incredible when people use their voice. It is. And I think um yeah, I mean, you're we're continuing to even see it happen. You know, I saw Lashinda Demas came out and, you know, was sharing what she went through. And like you said, so many people have suffered in silence that we don't even know how many women have been affected by this. And I think a lot of times, you know, what we see as someone being really strong, I know for me, like I looked at Lashinda and you know, what she did. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like she is someone who, you know, was really young in the prime of her career, you know, had twin boys and came back. And I'm looking at it from a a perspective of, wow, you know, she, she has such strength and didn't realize, you know, what she was really going through. And so um, you're exactly right about speaking up and, you know, the power of our voices collectively. Well, from my vantage point, just seeing the momentum that was built from the article that had already come out with Kara and Alicia came out and talked about it. And then to see you add your voice, Allison, it amplified the conversation even further, which is obviously critical and more women need to step up and then more men, you know, taking my responsibility need to be advocates as well. What do you think men can do? What do you think men can do to, to advocate here? Because I do sometimes find you, you know, as a guy myself, I find I'm powerless because I can't relate, you know, really, truly, but I do want to be a part of the conversation and help elevate the conversation. So what can men do to support? I think it's just that, like being supportive in talking about it, like in bringing awareness, you know, whether that's social media. Um, And yeah, I think that's a huge way to be supportive because you don't hear a lot of men talking about this. And I felt like a lot of men didn't, weren't even aware, you know, there's, multiple conversations that I had with men who were just like, really? Like, I didn't, I never thought of that or, you know. Um, So I think it's having support publicly um, in in getting the conversation and um, furthering it, you know, just on social as well. So let's switch gears, if you don't mind, to talk about clean sport, which is obviously the main topic of our and and purpose of our podcast is advocate for clean sport across all sports, but certainly track and field is near and dear to our heart. 
one question I have just to start is from your perspective, coming from the sprinting world, what is the culture like in that world? We, you know, we primarily see and Kara has seen it from the distance running side, which has its own unique challenges, of course, but within the, the sprint culture, where do you think it is? Is it a good place? Is it a, a challenging place? Does more need to be done? You know, what do you think the current state of the culture is on this topic in your, in your world? Uh, I would say it remains challenging. Um, I mean, throughout my career, I think I've seen it, you know, ups and downs. And as an athlete, it's just always frustrating. You know, I think so many times you have a feeling you, I mean, we can all (laughs) see things happening. And I think sometimes there's things that are very obvious and, um, it's just hard, you know, when you're out there and you're doing things the right way, um, you're a clean athlete and you know, it's not a level playing field. It can be very disheartening. I think, um, you know, track is just such a tough sport. And when you're constantly on the grind and you go to races and it's like, you know, I I know what I'm up against. Um, it's just hard. And so I would say that it remains challenging. I, I, I feel like there's definitely, you know, more to be done. Um, you know, through the years, you know, I've, sometimes you feel like you're seeing progress and then something happens and you feel like, you know, you take steps backwards. So I think it's always, you know, a bit challenging. You've been at the top of your game for so long. And I just wonder how have you mentally managed that knowing that you're not facing a level playing field, but always, you always seem to show up and do your best anyway. So how have you done that mentally? Just com- compartmentalize that throughout the years. I feel like I've struggled with it for sure. I mean, I think there's been times where um, it's just it's just hard. You know, I think there's no way around that. I, there's no sugarcoating it. I try to like, you know, I try to um, always, you know, make sure that I'm doing this because. I love it, you know, and that is the driving force behind it. And so by having that passion, I think it, it definitely, you know, keeps me, keeps me, you know, grounded for a sense, but at the same time, um, it is tough. And, you know, there's days where I feel like, you know, it's unfair. Um, but I feel like I can only control what I can control and that's myself. And I want to be, you know, a positive reflection for the next generation. And I just kind of keep reminding myself of those things and it's not always going to be easy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what has kind of kept me (laughs) in it. Is it also more satisfying to beat someone that you have suspicions about? Does that motivate you at all? (laughs) It is satisfying, you know, for sure. I, I feel like even it's satisfying, but also I just, it gives me a sense of pride as well, because I feel like I know in my career, character and integrity is important. And for me, you know, I'd rather have, I'd rather work hard and know that it's of my own merit. You know, (laughs) I'd rather lose and, and know that I gave it all than, you know, cheat to win. That's just not what it is for me. And so um, I'll always, I'll always feel that way and always really just put, character integrity at the top. We love that. One question, as you, as you look at those around you, and obviously we don't want to talk about specific names or name people, but what are the things that you find suspicious, the red flags that you look for, the, 
the areas that might be shady? Are there, are there specific groups or coaches or affiliations? Yeah, I think you always follow a progression. You know, I think it, you know, yes, you can have improvement and big drops in time and stuff, but I think, you know, you have to follow some type of progression. And so I think when you, you know, when you don't follow that, it can be alarming. Um, I, I have definitely have a, an issue with coaching when there's multiple um, positive tests with one coach. I think that is something that's a problem, you know, in our sport because athletes are held accountable and I think coaches should be held accountable as well. And I think that it's a danger to younger athletes who come along and who aren't experienced, go with certain coaches um, and, you know, might fall into something or not be aware of something. And so those are things that to me are of great concern. Allison, I'd love it if you could talk to us about, we, as we understand, uh, you did a special program in 2008 leading into the Olympics where you agreed to be tested more often. And could you tell us a little bit about that and why you decided to do that? Yeah, um, I really enjoyed being a part of that program. It was, yeah, in 2008, um, Project Believe that USADA was putting on. And it was really about just like stepping up, um, allowing, you know, to be uh, a lot of, a lot kind of more invasive testing. And also just kind of, I mean, we're always (laughs) tested around the clock, but um, a, a little bit more. And so to me, it was more important just to kind of show that, I was willing to do that and um, and really put it out there for, you know, those growing up in the sport as well. Um, I, I think it's just any chance, any chance or any opportunity to go above and beyond um, is important to me just because I am an advocate for a clean sport. And it is so important to me that um, it, it was exciting for me to be involved in that. Yeah, well, I think that's that speaks volumes of your commitment for sure. Thank you. Let's let's talk about testing for a little bit. Obviously, it's a big part of your life, and <laughs> yeah. and you know that's something you have to be ready to to do at any time, and you have to file your whereabouts and all of those things. What? How does that impact you? First of all, and do you do you mind it as an athlete? First of all, and then second of all, you know, what would you like to see change or or be different about it to perhaps find more of those that aren't doing it the right way? Yeah. Um, I guess to me, I don't mind it because I understand it, you know, um, it is annoying, you know, it's, (laughs) it is, uh, it's a lot, but it's how things are done, you know? And so it's just, that's what it takes, you know, to, to have clean sport happen. Um, and it almost becomes like second nature. I mean, I guess because I've been in this sport for so long, but to me, you know, anytime, I don't know, it just becomes a habit of something that I'm thinking about anytime that I'm going somewhere overnight automatically, I'm just like, okay, well, I've got to update my whereabouts. It just is, it's a part of life, you know, over the years. And, um, you know, it's a response, it's your responsibility and it's very serious, you know, your reputation, your, um, your future, you know, depends on those things. And so, um, it's extremely important and just something that you have to get done. Um, and was there, I think you asked me a second part of that. Yeah. The the second part was just, what would you like to see change or, or have more of in order to even make it more effective? I think just getting better with our testing, you know, I think we always hear, 
about people who are cheating that the way that they're cheating is so advanced that we don't even have the test to be able to test for, you know, what they're taking. And I think a lot of times you hear people, well, I've never say that they've never failed a drug test, but we've seen people, you know, be cheating and they've never failed a drug test. So I think just making sure that, um, you know, we are testing for, you know, everything, you know, I, I, that's always going to be something that's difficult because I feel like, you know, they're always ahead of the game, but, um, you know, that's an area that I think that we can always get better at. What about brands and their role? You know, obviously there's a few big key brands that are typically involved and have their logos present at a track meet. What do you think their role is in creating a culture that supports clean sport versus perhaps doing things the wrong way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's always difficult because, you know, obviously we, we know that for them, um, they want their athletes to be on top and, you know, sometimes that means um, figuring out what they're going to do when they have an athlete that is cheating. And, you know, I think that's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Right. So I think what we would like to see is that there would be consequences for those athletes and, you know, that they wouldn't continue to be supported. Um, But I think it's just complicated, you know, Um, but I, I think, yeah, to see that explored more, I guess, and see what can be done in those areas. But I think we all understand that this is a business and it's all, you know, about making money and all of these things, which, which make it hard. Very hard and very complicated, unfortunately. But one of the things we're advocating for is brands that are willing to stand up and say, we support clean sport and we won't support athletes that have adverse test situations. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like that's always happening where athletes may still get supported for a time if, if they, you know, if there's a, a, an adverse testing situation. So we're advocating more for more of them to step up. Would you as well? Yeah. I mean, I think that would be amazing. I think it's, um, you know, it's like about doing the right thing. Um, and, we don't always see that all the time, um, especially there's consequences, right? When you, sometimes when you do the right thing, um, whether, you know, that's a, a top athlete, a very visible athlete, you know, there's consequences that come along with that. But I think, you know, if we were able to get a place to a place where that could happen and if brands would step up and support that, then that goes back to like what you were saying, really changing the culture, Um, around this and really seeing real consequences. I think sometimes, you know, you look at the consequences and you, you wonder like, are, are the consequences enough to make someone not want to cheat? You know, if, if, if that's, if they already don't have that kind of moral compass. Um, And so I think, yeah, that's definitely a way. Yeah. The risk reward is often out of balance, unfortunately. Yes. So, we wanted to ask specifically about the recent Christian Coleman case. Obviously we don't need to talk about him necessarily as an individual, but I think his case is interesting in that, you know, he had three whereabouts or it was reported. He had three whereabouts violations where he wasn't in the place he needed to be. And he missed tests. He's now been exonerated because one of those tests was deemed to have happened outside of, or it was now categorized outside of the, the 12 month window 
whereupon missing three tests becomes a problem. And so now he's able to continue competing. And obviously USADA and WADA and all of the organizations are in charge of adjudicating that and punishing him if he needs to be punished. But what are your feelings on that case? And what do you think about the idea of someone missing in a test and what the consequences should be associated with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the specifics about all of his like missed tests. Um, so I won't, you know, comment specifically on, you know, those just because I, I'm, you know, I know what was put out there. But I think just in general, as far as an athlete having three missed tests, I just think that you should never put yourself in that, you know, at risk for that. I mean, we are professional athletes and this is our responsibility. Um, and this is just something that you have to do. And so I just feel like there should be no case where you should even be, you know, coming to where you're, you're close to that. Um, and I don't know if we have to do a better job, you know, educating, you know, young athletes coming up or, you know, what it is, but it is our responsibility. And I, I just think that we know what the rules are, you know, we can have our opinion about how we feel about the rules and, um, you know, and all that's, you know, required with that. But the bottom of the line is these are the rules and we have to follow, um, we have to follow them. And so it's quite easy to make an update, to do your whereabouts and all those things. And so it's just something that just has to happen. Yeah. Taking full responsibility. And you've, you, as a person who just, you've been in the testing pool for so long. I just, as kind of like a fun note, were you in the testing pool when you had to like fax in your whereabouts? Um, I'm trying to remember when I first, so I remember actually getting my first, um, like random test. It was, I was a junior in high school and like USADA showed up to my like seventh period class. And like, I got pulled out of class and like did my test and like that whole thing. I think everything was definitely on paper and like, it was a much different process than it is now. Um, but I remember when that started and um, I remember one time, I think it's the only, I think in my, what is this, like 16 years or something, I've gotten one missed test. And I remember I was taking a final um, <laughs> at USC and I, it was like, you know, it, my schedule had changed. I was usually at the track at the time, but I was taking this final and I was just like devastated. You know, I, it was something that really shook me up and scared me. And at that time, I think it was, we could have three misses in like five years. I think it, it's shifted since then, but I mean, it, it only took that one test to really like, okay, like you know, I was a teenager at the time, but it was like, that was the one wake up call I needed for the rest of my career. And it was like, okay, I, I'm on it now. So, and now the process is much easier, like you said, with submitting things and, and the differences. So I just, it really just, it's really hard to understand having multiple missed tests for me. Yeah. And as you said, things happen. I mean, sometimes you have to take a college final, but you yeah. know, but, uh, there's, that's why you have the three tests. So I love that story. Thank you for that. I know you, yeah. I know you've got to get to a physio appointment, Allison. So we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but we did, I did have a final question as you look to Tokyo next year and we know you're, you're trying to build to that, to that Olympics. What, what, what do you think needs to be done 
in order to continue to elevate the conversation on clean sport? Because as you said, things are challenging. You wish they were in a better place. What would you like to see happen to make that happen? And what role can athletes play in, in getting change? Yeah. Um, gosh, I, it's a tough question. Cause I wish that there was just like one thing that would like fix, you know, fix it all. But I guess just like continuing in the direction of, you know, harsh consequences, I, I feel like really making it, um, you know, really making the consequences um, substantial so that we, so that we understand um, that you will face, you know, that there will be something that will happen to you, you know, if you choose to go down that road um, and just continuing on with more sophisticated testing um, and also just like awareness, you know, I think it's all about the next generation as well. Them understanding that you can have a successful career um, clean, you know, and success can look a lot of different ways. I think, you know, it's, there's so much pressure to win from so many different angles, but just realizing that there's so much more to an athlete than that. And just kind of, you know, understanding the journey as well. Um, having that explained, I think, for the next generation. And Allison, you recently signed an amazing contract with Athleta. You're being given an opportunity to share your life, not just as an elite athlete, but as a woman and a mother. Do you want to just really quick touch on that, what your experience has been and what you're looking forward to working with Athleta and kind of breaking the mold on that? Yeah, I'm just really excited for this new partnership. Athleta has been amazing. And one thing that really... um, really made me feel like this was home for me was their mission, you know, is to empower women and girls. And that's something that has always been really close to my heart. So I am so excited to work on different initiatives to be able to get hands on and to really create that change. Um, And I was also excited, you know, to kind of go a different um, avenue than, you know, the typical major players, players in track and field. And really show that, you know, we can step outside of the box and we can do something different. It doesn't always have to look the same exact way. Um, And so I'm just excited for the future and, you know, what I feel like we can accomplish and do together. And also, you know, this idea that of being more than an athlete, you know, we all have more to offer. And I think oftentimes we're kept in in that one little box. Um, And so to be celebrated in those different phases of life is something that um, really makes me feel great. And um, I'm just, I hope that more athletes are able to experience that. So thank you for that. We know you got to get to physio. So appreciate the time. Thank you for lending your voice to this conversation. Thank you for everything you're doing. We really are are huge fans and hope the best as you get ready for Tokyo next year. Yes, Allison, thank you so much for all that you do, like on the track and off. Um, we just can't thank you enough for everything you're doing. And yeah, we will definitely be rooting you all the way. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for all that you guys are doing. Um, it's amazing. And you're already seeing the rippling effects. So um, I just appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. Awesome. There you go. Allison Felix, everyone. Thanks so much again to her for taking the time out of her busy schedule racing in Europe to come on and talk about 
the Dream Eternity topic, as well as, of course, our passion project here with Clean Sport. We really appreciate her crystal clear perspective, as well as the integrity that she brings to it. It's inspiring, I think, for athletes in all sports at all levels. And, of course, inspiring to a lot of women I know as she lends her voice to that side of the conversation. So we'll wrap it here. Thanks also, of course, to our audience for listening and for joining us in this journey to try to elevate the conversation on clean sport. Please, if you haven't already, go to cleansport.org and sign the pledge as well as follow us along on social media on Twitter and Instagram at cleansportco. That's at cleansportco to follow the conversation and hopefully lend your voice to it. As always, thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next time.